encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. Significant to my salvation. Oh, not to your salvation. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Happy first Sunday of Lent. Woo! I know we're non-liturgical, but I'm trying. <laughs> Not the fuzz in your belly button. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> no, not, not cleaning out your dryer. I hope you clean it out more than just, you know, one period a year. It's one of the main causes for... Oh, you're fine. I'll talk to your backside. It's, uh, it's one of the main reasons for house fires, isn't it? Like cleaning out your dryer vent i've heard so clean out your lint but also observe lint <laughs> not that lint good morning mornings how are you uh somewhere they're here yeah what am i chopped liver <laughs> no just to answer the question for everyone ahead of time that table in the back was our night a nightstand that hannah had from a bedroom suit, but it was really, really, really in bad shape. Hillary restored it for us, but we have a matching one. So Hannah was like, <gasps> so she ran to find Hillary to tell him, A, thank you, that's amazing. B, will you do the other one for us, please? <laughs> so. Well, he can do it. Yeah, and it, it, it is tremendously far and away better than I have ever seen it. And I've, seen, I've, had, I've known that nightstand since I started dating Hannah in 10th grade. So that's the best it's looked since then. So it's a family heirloom. Nice to have it restored. Uh, we're in Mark 9 this morning. We're at the Transfiguration. We're making progress, people. We are plugging right along. You know, by this time next year, we might be done with Mark, maybe. Just maybe. Oh, I'm not in a hurry. Once you get through some of the introductory stuff, though, you're able to move a little quicker. Because now you kind of have your... Your footing now. Every time it says immediately, everyone goes ah. So you know that's good. We're we're learning parts of Mark that are important. It's easier to apply. Yeah, yeah, it is. The the further along you get, for sure. Uh, Transfiguration, very important story. This is in Mark nine, starting verse two. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and everybody else just got left out. And led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I love that line. As someone who constantly puts his foot in his mouth, very much appreciate that that made it into our scriptures. Love it. Didn't know what to say because he's terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. It's a deep and important story. We've all heard the Transfiguration before. Um, it's an amazing story. There's so much to dwell on here. The only three people in the world that ever got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, James, and John are the only people that got to go up there. 
All the other ones had to hang out at the bottom. And is it, um, let's see. So if you keep reading in the story, what's funny to me is uh, as they come down off the mountain, the rest of the disciples are down at the bottom of the mountain and a dude comes to them and says, hey, can you cast the demon out of my son? And they can't do it. <laughs> so then Jesus and James, Peter and James and John are walking up and he's like, I tried your B team and they're not really working. We need the, we need the varsity team because it's not really working. And so um, I just, I love that story. I, I preached a sermon on this one time called Meanwhile Down Below. So Peter, James, and John are having this ah, moment, sort of. I mean, Peter kind of sticks his foot in his mouth. And then meanwhile, down below, this is happening. Um, yeah. Six days later, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. Um, it's kind of weird that he specifies six days later. Why six days? Um, specifically six days after the whole you are the Messiah. It's interesting. That'd be about a week if you counted the day that he confessed Peter Peter confessed Jesus as Messiah. That'd be seven. That'd be a whole week. And so then... Um, oh, that's true. It's fair. Could be. Or maybe he transfigured on the Sabbath. I don't know. Depending on what day of the week, we don't know what day of the week. Well, if he's taken off from his job, that means leaving inhabited areas. That's true. He is up on a high mountain apart by themselves. I do want to point out one thing from Matthew because I'll preach from Matthew 4 this morning and it's the temptation of Jesus. And uh, there's a small detail in this Mark story that makes me think of something in the Matthew story that I won't be able to talk about in my sermon. So I'm going to talk about it briefly now. Um, Whenever Jesus is tempted in Matthew, it specifically says, and the devil led him up on a high mountain is just like the one here with the transfiguration and i think at the transfiguration in matthew it says that again a high mountain which makes me think it's the same mountain maybe i don't know that would be interesting uh where is the transfiguration in matthew 17 um yep high mountain matthew 17 so that's interesting into the wilderness and then up a high mountain which is interesting because if you were in the like use your biblical imagination if you're in the wilderness and you're up a high mountain what mountain are you on if it's the wilderness and if it's the mountain which mountain in which wilderness it does say a yeah it does say a mm-hmm I think the other one was like the mountain, but still a mountain in the wilderness, at least for the temptation, a mountain in the wilderness, Sinai. Yeah. But I mean, Sinai is going to be, you know, the wilderness is where they were for Jesus out there. 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, Israel was in the wilderness 40 years in the wilderness. There's a mountain. Moses went up the mountain. Jesus is the new Moses. I mean, it's happening. It's right in front of your eyes. Yeah, I think so. Well, in the six, um, I didn't get to this because I got sidetracked. But in Exodus 24, there's this odd little reference to six days happening after a key event. I want to look at that real quick. Exodus 24. And I think that's part of the reason he's like, hey, that's ironic. 
I think the biblical writers love to point out anything they can when they're like, hey, that's a number in the Old Testament. Boom. And then find significant for it. Uh, so in Exodus 24, Moses goes up on the mountain. The cloud covers the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. So that sounds a lot like the story we're reading, right? And what I love about that, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And then it speaks to Moses out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. Um, I don't know how anybody can read the gospel stories honestly. I say this very critically. I don't know how anybody can read the gospel stories honestly and not come away with the impression that Jesus is Yahweh. I, I don't. I really don't see how you can't come away with the impression that he is Lord in the full sense. Because at the very least, they're playing fast and loose with the persons if you think Jesus is not all caps, L-O-R-D. But he is. I mean, I don't see how you can't. I mean, the, this story to me, he's on the mountain and then he's this one that's greater than Moses. And Elijah, even. People have preconceived ideas about that. Oh, I think so. I think so, for sure. I do. Yeah, but yours are right. Yeah, mine are all right. (laughs) Mine are, too. Of course. Yeah. Teachers of Christ is a dream. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine. (laughs) I want to picture how this happened. So Jesus takes them, leads them up the mountain, and then, then they come up on Jesus talking... With Moses and Elijah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, did they, did he go ahead a little bit or did he, they stall, fall behind? And then, because it sounds like they kind of walk up on them and see him talking to them. Huh. Okay, I didn't get that impression. Does your translation say something? And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses okay. who were talking to Jesus. Huh. So I hadn't thought about it, it like, like that. It was like they were already involved in a conversation when the walked up. Yeah, they're already talking. Yeah. So is this like the disciples are walking up on them like, oh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Like, and they overhear the conversation or is it like they appear and as they appear, it's like, um, it's like they've already been talking even, we just now see them, but they've already been talking. Ooh, that's interesting. Hmm. And for them to say, it's good for us to have been here. It's like, we're seeing something that more, usually mortal man doesn't see. Yeah. I mean, clearly they're seeing something mortal man does not usually see, right? The transfiguration, but that's interesting. Hmm. What I always wondered about that is how did they know that was prophecy? Yeah, things like that. Huh. They maybe had shirts that had their name across the top. Yeah. Was they, they had jerseys. Yeah, they had jerseys. The Saints all have jerseys. You've, you've seen football. They have jerseys. I wonder if that's too. Yeah. That's interesting. How did they? I don't know. Maybe Jesus used their name. While yeah. Was to him. Oh, Elijah, you goof. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, uh, you that really? yeah. And, and he was already radiant. Yes. Yeah. Right. By the time the conversation, so it's almost like as the as the the radiance occurs, so also they appear. So I wonder if it's not sequential. I wonder if it's instantaneous. Like, as he appears glorious, he also is shown to be conversating with them. Maybe that's part of what it means for him to be shown glorious. That Jesus is the natural conversation partner of the law and the prophets, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. That's interesting. Peter and and James, when they came back to the other 
apostles had to have told them, you won't believe. You won't believe. Yeah. And they're going, no, you're, you're crazy. You're losing it. No, no. Moses was there in person. I wonder if James and John are the ones who supplied the little detail. He didn't know what he was saying. Like, oh yeah, Peter stuck his foot in his mouth big time. Shut up, James. Like, I wonder if it's that kind of thing. I wonder what the conversation down at the the base of the mountain was. I wonder what they could see from the bottom. Well, and and don't you know they were, what on earth are they doing? Mm. uh, What are they going to do? Yeah. I think of like Mount Sinai, because this is like clearly resonant with Mount Sinai. And the people could see that like something funky's going on up on Mount Sinai, right? Like the clouds and the thunder. So I wonder, at the very least, I'd imagine they can see the cloud that kind of encapsulates the mountain. But like, what else do they see? Do they hear anything? It's interesting. More than anything, I really don't have brilliant insights about the Transfiguration other than just I'm in awe of the Transfiguration. And I think that's really the best response to the Transfiguration, really. I think that's properly what our response should be. Um, because the more that we're in awe of God, the more we're transfigured ourselves from one degree of glory to another. And so I think we see Jesus transfigured before us and we, we're in awe. And I think the text is, is written from that perspective. It's like, yeah, so this happened. I don't really know how to tell you how this happened, but this happened and it was crazy. And we don't really fully understand it, but it happened and we wanted you to know about it. Um, well, and how he asked them as they were going back down, don't share what you saw. Yes. Anybody, don't tell anybody. And yeah, like they're not yeah, they really <laughs> had them sign an NDA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never thought of using that as an illustration for talking about the messianic secret stuff in you Mark. I love it. Ah, uh, non-disclosure agreement for the Messiah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If I haven't had to sign one, it's different, right? Um, that being said, I'm sure you can't tell me if you've signed one, but can you wink if you? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I've signed one. <laughs> um, you know what I was gonna say? You know, we ragged on Jesus or Peter in the last story, but in this story, he's still in the inner circle. He is still in the inner circle. That's fair. Like he's very much like. It's yeah. a full pay-per-view experience. Like. That's right. And and that should that's a great point, Micah, because that should remind us that even whenever we stick our foot in our mouths time and time again, because that's a reoccurring theme for Peter here, obviously. He says, you're the Messiah. And it's like, score. Yes, you finally got it. And then he's like, so I'm going to go die. I must do this. Peter says, uh, no. And then Jesus is like, Peter. But then he still takes him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He still gets to see Jesus transfigured. Um, this whole like image of God being overly harsh in the Old Testament, um, that's only said by people who haven't read the Old Testament very well or who take it out of context. Because like, for example, whenever Abram doubts over and over again, what does God do? You idiot, why don't you? He says, come here, come here, shh, come here. Look at the stars, you see them? Try to, try to count them, get ahead, get ahead. Okay, you can't. Exactly. It's going to be like that with your descent. I mean, he gives him more reason to trust. And it's the same with Jesus. He gives, he gives Peter more reason to trust him. He's patient with him. And he, he gives him the very thing I think any of us who stick our foot in our mouth, any of us who have our doubts and our confusions and our misarticulations need, which is to see the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. That's what we need in that situation. Yeah, Linda.
harsh. It was all the, the Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the yeah. people dying in the flood. You know, I had some people, somebody would watch it with me, and I'm like, it's not like that. Yeah. Read the Bible, God's a yeah. giving, loving God. It's, it's not like yeah. all murder, rape, and destruction. Yeah, he by no means leaves the, he by no means uh, clears the guilty. And everyone's like, yeah. It's like, yeah, but he keeps love and faithfulness to the thousandth generation, whereas he only punishes iniquity to the third and fourth generation. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the judgment of God is, is a, I mean, that's clearly a part of his identity. But I think it's, I've talked about this much before, I think it's greatly misrepresented. I think it's co-opted by people who are trying to bully others into doing what they want. But I really think the judgment of God is always on, it's always on the other people. <laughs> it's always on the bad people. Like, we want that. And it's easy for us in our culture to be as sheltered as we are and to be like, well, I'm sheltered. I don't know about you. But to be as sheltered and comfortable as we are and to be like, well, that just seems a little harsh. And I'm like, yeah, talk to people in the third world who are suffering real oppressions, not seeing something you disagree with on Facebook, but like actually being deprived their human dignity. And what do they say in response? They're like, yeah, they're going to get what's coming to them. Now, can that shake out even with, because judgment plays a part for the believer too. So can that shake out where even for those of us who did things we um, will be judged for, will still ultimately be saved by God? Well, yeah. I mean, now that can shake out. Judgment's part for even us also, um, which is always a scary thing. Judgment is part for the believers too. Um, Jesus is judged. But that's, the believers, every time they talked about Jesus as judged, they weren't like, <gasps> They were like, Jesus is judged. That was a positive, glorious affirmation that gave them comfort, that gave them security, that made them feel that sense of victory. So, yeah. Um, the transfiguration of Jesus. I picture it like, um, you ever tried to look at the sun for very long? You ever do that dare on the playground as a kid? How long can you stare at the sun without going blind? Well, uh, I think it's like that. Um, I'm reminded of Moses coming down off the mountain and his face after seeing God and speaking with God face to face, which that's a weird passage too. Cause in one passage, it says Moses talked to God face to face. And then in another passage, it says, well, you can't talk to me face to face because I'd fry you like the people in Indiana Jones who saw the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, so it's like, but, um, anyway, but apparently he talked to him face to face. His face is shining as he comes down off the mountain. But that's more of like a reflective shine, kind of like the moon to the sun. You know, it just reflects the glare of the sun, but it can fade or it can get out of orbit. But Jesus, he's not reflecting the light. He is producing the light. He, it is coming from him, which is very different. And then, again, this whole passage in Exodus that I quoted, Exodus 24, 15, 16, the glory of the Lord settles on the mountain as a cloud. I find it interesting. The cloud comes back. Right? The glory cloud comes back. And, but what does the cloud say? The cloud doesn't say, look at me. <laughs> the cloud says, this is my son. This is a reflection of yes. baptism. Yes. From the clouds. Yes. It's almost the same Thank words. you. The ending yeah. is different. But, yeah. Um, I was about to, yeah. Where have we heard this before? Yeah. His baptism. Yeah. yeah. This is my beloved son with whom I'm very pleased. Yeah. And then this time it's, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. At least last time it was, you are my son. The last one was speaking to him. This one is, this is my beloved son. Which, by the way, um, I guess I'm trying to learn this as a father, but maybe you can verify this for me as people who've actually had kids longer. But it seems to me that you need both. 
Um, I need to be told that I'm the beloved, and I need others to overhear my father tell them that I'm the beloved. I need both. I need to be told directly, you're my beloved, and I need others to overhear my dad say, that's my beloved. I need both. And if I, don't, if I have one without the other, it's not the fullness of my identity as the beloved. And so I think you need the you and the this. You need you and this, this and you. And so um, at least, so uh, let's see, is it Luke? Somebody changes it at the baptism to this instead of you. Um, I'd be curious if that same author, gospel author, whoever it is, switches it at the transfiguration as well. But I hadn't thought about that till just now. It's this and Matthew. I, I think Luke still has you then. Okay. I'm going to look it up now. But I'm going to look at the, the baptism scene real quick because I'm curious. Um, Matthew says this. This is my beloved son. Luke says his baptism. Luke says you. You are my beloved son. But then what do Matthew or Luke say at the transfiguration? That's the question. Let's find out. Where does Luke put the transfiguration? Oh, I know. Chapter 9? 8? 9? 9? 9. Called it. Knew it. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. 9. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. They saw his glory. Luke specifically says glory. That's interesting. Mark leaves out the glory. Mark just mentions the cloud and assumes that you're going to catch the reference and know it's the glory cloud. He Does he say this? He says this in 35. This. So Luke also, like Mark, has you at the baptism and this at the transfiguration. What about Matthew? What does he do at the transfiguration? Matthew. Hold on. 17. And he says this. this. Interesting. So Matthew is just like this, this. No you. It's interesting. I don't know why. But I almost wonder if at the baptism specifically. Because this it would be spoken for. Around, yeah, like it changes around like who. Who hears it. Right. So like this Mark, would be for Mark the little, people. I, must, I know it's in some way both Luke and Matthew indicate like there is like a public perception. Yeah. Jesus hears the Father, and that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the only thing Mark wants Jesus to tell us about. Jesus sees the dove descending from heaven, right? No yes, one, Jesus no sees the dove. Other no people one don't, necessarily. So I wonder if it's like... I wonder if it's like on the day of Pentecost. They're saying one thing, but you hear it in your language, you hear it in your language, you hear it in your language. I wonder if it's like one word spoken from the Father, but Jesus hears you, and everybody else hears this. I don't know. Because if, like, if you overhear, if David overhears me look at Ezra and say, you are my beloved son, if he were to retell that story, he would say, Andrew said, this is my beloved son. Because if you quote me directly, they would think you were saying it, and then that would be weird. Does that make sense? So, I mean, it, it's inherent in the communication aspect. So that was a rabbit hole that I just went down, but I was curious. Um... I, I do think it's important that it, the you and the this, I do think those are important things because it's who's, who's being spoken to and who's, uh, who's it for. Um, but this is my son, the beloved. So this one then especially is for Peter and the, uh, James and John who, and maybe especially Peter, who's kind of representative of the disciples, who is um, 
not knowing what he's saying because he's terrified. Um, also, let's go there for a second. Terrified. <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of the idea of like, you know, let's scare the hell out of people to scare the people out of hell. I don't, I don't like that. But, but I also am uncomfortable when, when I hear things like, we're going to see the glory of the Lord. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, I don't think that'd be your reaction if you saw the glory of the Lord. I think you'd be flat on your face, terrified. In a good way, like in awe. I don't think like, he'd be like, like song, you know, like, like I, I get it. Like, I love that too, but I'm also, I don't know. Like that song, uh, like how will I react? How will I react? Yeah. All of the above. Be so overloaded yeah. that well, first initial response yeah. is going to be fall to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and like an and the terror there, I don't think it's terror like, I think some people hear that and then they co-opt that. Not it's not horror. Yeah. It's in awe. Kind of. It's awe. Yeah, I think that's the right. It's awe. I mean, which is okay. Which is. is right? I would expect that this. This is. I don't know my Bible. This is in the, the Transfiguration scene, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just assuming that's going to be reflective of the the resurrection in Mark, which ends with they left. Yeah. Fearful. So. I agree. The distinction I'm making is not like, so I would say it this way. It's the same event. So like I can be terrified of lightning because I'm in, I feel like I'm in danger of it consuming me. And then I can be terrified of lightning in the sense that I'm in awe of lightning. Like, wow, isn't that amazing? But I know I'm safe. Yeah. I'm just not sure that we should interpret it as, as them feeling safe. Like, oh, okay. It seem to be clear to me from the text. Okay. Like, Great. Yeah. I, I think that they don't feel Saying that's okay. not like like okay, so let's look at like Isaiah, right? Like, does Isaiah feel safe in the throne room? Like, that's fair. I don't think Isaiah feels safe. Like, I don't think that's the right. Like, that's fair. Like, this is a very bad situation for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woe is me. Or Peter <laughs> later is like, get away from me, Lord. Yeah, that's fair. I hear that criticism. That you are not in your realm. You know, like hey, I have no control over this situation at all. Yeah. I could just get. I could just like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, fair criticism and true. And I actually agree with everything you said. I guess I'm speaking from a place where I felt like the faith that I was taught was often trying to terrorize me into obedience. And I'm like, I've been raised in the faith. I don't think that's the best way to bring me about. But then there are others who I feel like have had such hedonistic pagan lives. Maybe a little fear is good in that sense so i don't know so i guess i'm speaking from my very own perspective and i think that's valid also does that make sense there's like a ton of times when people are like so i mean they're just trying to beat it into you and like that's not yeah like it's not what you see paul do it's not what jesus generally does even though jesus has a lot more hellfire servants than paul does um like i'm just saying like that this encounter with god with like there's a line in amos where it's like somebody's like um where it says why do you say we want the day of the Lord to come? The day of the Lord is dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, like when the Lord comes, like mm. that is a time of the sifting of the wheat. It's a time of judgment, right? And you'll see yeah. in Matthew as well. There's tons of the Son of Man coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people who are getting cast out, and like that, that like occasion of judgment is like important um, because it like vindicates. Right, we live in the world, and everybody knows this: that the world is not a just place. Like. Yeah. At least not in the short term, right? Like, yeah. there's not, like, a justice that's happening that I can rely on, that the kids in the Congo can rely on. Yeah. So that, 
all these people who are profiting off of their lives and deaths. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. Like, there's like there's no relief for them. Like, and people say like, you know, like they want the judgment of the Lord to come, and that's and that's good because it's like that would be the day when like God vindicates. No, in fact, I was paying attention. Like you thought you got away with yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like I was here. Yeah. The whole time. Um, so maybe it's best. So. But I feel, I think, yeah. I think that that's what's happening in like the the fearful at the end and the yeah. fearful right here, right? Is that these people have, right? Like Peter, I think especially, like, right? Peter's just been rebuked by Jesus, so like maybe Peter's like, I'm still right, and he goes up the mountain. And he's like, Oh, I'm not right at all. <laughs> like, I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that, like hope that we're gonna like. We often will sing songs like the Mountain of the Republic, like the. Treading out the vintage where the graves are after story. It's like, oh, that's such a nice job to do. It's like, that's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're on a long yeah. vacation. Yeah. Yeah, that always drives me nuts whenever we sing a lament psalm as a happy psalm or a happy psalm as a lament psalm. And I'm like, who wrote this hymn? Have you read? Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I think of it. I, I preached a sermon from Nahum one time. Um, I think I titled it something like, Don't Mess With My Daddy or something. Because the idea was like, you know, because Nahum is like all about the judgment of God. And some people read that and they're like, oh, but it's like, no, it's on the other people. He's standing up for his kids, his, his people. And so I, I said it was like, you know, a, a papa bear. God is your, your papa bear. He, you know, God uh, stands up for his children. He, his heart breaks for injustice. So, uh, yes, everything Micah said, yes. I'm speaking from a recovering fundamentalist point of view. So. Well, and, and even the part about, you know, God being scary in, in the Old Testament, you know, and, and we want to downplay his wrath. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, the, I, that, that's what I want. Sure. But I'm not, we, that's us assigning our sentimentality to him. Our ideas of good and bad, mm. what is love and what isn't love. Or what is anger. Or what is anger yeah. or wrath. And that wrath is wrong for God to have, you know, or, you know, it's just, yeah. so I think sometimes we just kind of have to accept that that's why grace is so important is because we're set free from, you know, we're, we're, we're in the fold, <laughs> you know, we're the sheep that are protected yeah. because, uh, it is a terrible thing, you know, um, but I kind of think back as if he's the potter, the creator, mm. Who's to say the potter is wrong if he starts to make something and then it's not going the way he planned and he just wads it up and sure. slams it down and starts over? Um, that's not evil. That's not, yeah. you know. Um, so when we start trying to put God in our box, we can really kind of lose track of things, mm. I think. Sometimes. One box on either end of the spectrum, right? So like yeah. when we're trying to talk to people mm. about how God is love and all that, it, it kind of conflicts with what we're, try, what we're trying to mm. picture we're trying to paint. Maybe the outsiders need to be reminded of God's love and the insiders need to be reminded of his wrath, <laughs> right? It seems, like, it seems like the prophets were like, oh, you're getting comfortable, let's make you uncomfortable. Exactly. And then the people are terrified and they're like, oh, relax. Yeah. And they try to comfort them. And then they're comforted and they're like, oh, you're a little too comforted. Let's, yeah. it's, like, it's like this constant balancing act with the prophets. Yeah, Warren. Uh, a couple of scriptures come to mind. You know, uh, in Acts 2, after Peter had spoken to him, it said that he warned them. He continued to warn them. Mm. Uh, that implies that there's danger ahead, 
you know, when he, and I keep, I've always thought it was interesting that about the story of the rich man and Lazarus, which I call a story, not a parable, because he actually names the man in it. Mm. And, but anyway, regardless of that, uh, that man, when he got to where he, his place was, he became very evangelistic. He said, send yeah. letters back to my, I got five brothers back there. Tell them, don't come to this place. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, warn them. And of course he was told that ain't going to happen that way. But yeah, mm. uh, we need to be warned. It's serious business. Mm. Our soul hangs in, in yeah. the balance, so to speak. You know, We're playing with live ammunition. We're well, not just playing church. Like there's some actual right. things at stake here. Yeah, Rosemary, what are you gonna say? Well, as we were talking about that, and you know, kind of the Old Testament, New Testament picture of God um, in His being, there was. I'm recalling a time when my girls were younger, and we were in a church that uh, had a very large youth group, and so. Um, one of the things I was able to present one time was um, something that someone had passed on to me, but we got all the kids in a giant circle sitting down, and everyone had a scripture that they were going to read. And in the floor, in the middle of the circle, using little votive candles, was a giant cross made of all these little votive candles. So as we, when we started, all the votive candles were lit. And it was a darkened room. And so the first kid starts reading the scripture. So these first ones are all scriptures from the Old Testament of when the children did not obey. And slowly it disappointed God. You know, So every time one of their scriptures was read, one votive light went out until all of the whole cross was out. And then the second round was reading scriptures from the New Testament and about the glory of Jesus coming and how that played out. And so each votive light got relit because now we have a new beginning as, as we were talking about. So, and that's just always stuck with me. I wish I still had all those scriptures. Again, something I lost in the fire. But it was just such a meaningful activity for, I think, adults, but definitely for these teens because it really made an impression about how the Old Testament tells the story of how we constantly didn't obey and you know and so we had to send the second round in you know with the birth of Jesus and to save the world and it was just very uh, emotional I like that we need more candles in church I'm a fan I'm a fan <laughs> Uh, I love that. I'm going to end with that because it's time and because I don't think we can add anything more. So uh, may we behold the glory of the Lord. Let's pray and we'll end. Lord Jesus, pray that you would reveal yourself and your glory to us yet again. And that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another. I pray that you would renew the image of God in each of us. Uh, that was placed there by our Creator. And may we reflect it um, like the moon reflects the light of the sun. May we reflect the light of your glory to a hurt and dying and dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.